0: For the 4.30 movie. The 4.30 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed gross and me, Mark A Altman have a new oral history from St. Martin's press. It's secrets of the force, the complete uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today and you can learn the secrets of the force and don't miss our oral history of star trek in stores now and of course nobody does it better the complete oral history of james bond in digital hardcover paperback and audio that is all Hey, this is Mark A. Altman,
1: and this is Darren Docterman, and we are the
0: Inglorious Trexperts. and thou art back with <laughs> more Bible action. More, we're, 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 it's more Bible study here on the Trexperts. It's uh, as we promised, Exodus, the Voyager Bible, seventy
4: thousand light years from Earth. Federation starship is trying to get home. In the Star Trek tradition, the adventures continue in Star Trek Voyager.
5: That's our ship, intrepid class, sustainable cruise velocity of warp factor 9.975. 15 decks, bio circuitry. Gentlemen. Welcome aboard, Voyager. Thank you, sir. Do it.
1: Computer, initiate emergency medical holographic program. Please state the nature of the medical emergency.
4: They have friends among races you don't even know exist. They have found themselves beyond the final frontier. Why entering a war zone? So. Now they are fighting
5: for survival. It's a fine crew, and I've got to get them home. Star Trek, Voyager. Engage.
4: The legend lives on. And
0: uh, we're once again joined by uh, uh, no longer honorary Trexpert, fully authenticated and, uh, and, and minted Trexpert, Ashley Edward Miller. So welcome back, Ashley.
2: No bloody A, B, C, or D.
0: And joining us, uh, we, we extend uh, the, 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 the hand of friendship to a guest we haven't had on the show in a while. We're thrilled to have him back to talk about a show. Uh, he worked on both these shows uh, as a writer-producer and, of course, He's also the co creator of uh, TNT's Perception. I'm talking about none other than one of our
3: favorite guests, Uh, Michael Sassman, is back. Hey, guys. Great to be back with you. Great to be here with you and to get get some religion with you.
0: That's right. We're we're losing our religion. But uh, that's me in the corner. corner. See? (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, so I finally started listening on iTunes. To um, uh, the spatial audio, which is basically Dolby Atmos and and lossless, and oh my god, I, REM's Automatic for the People sounds so good, so good. Just saying, that's great, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm just, I'm just pointing it out
3: for
1: those this is going to not, not be part, part of the show. We're going to cut this
0: out. <laughs> no, I think it's very, it's very important. I mean, I know uh, the show's big on Spotify, but it's even
3: bigger on Apple Podcasts. I just want to say,
1: spatial audio, the final frontier.
3: Yeah, how does Inglorious Trexbirds sound in spatial audio? That's the question. I we well, think
1: whatever, however you listen to us.
0: Thanks to our fabulous sound engineer, Bill Ritter, who always makes it sound great. Can you believe we've been doing this remotely out of the studio now for how long is it? Almost two years. More than that. Oh, I mean out of the studio.
2: I mean from out of the studio. Uh, out of the remote. studio. From yeah, remotely. Mm.
1: Probably uh, around a year and a uh, few months.
2: Yeah. A long time. I can almost I can't remember feeling any other way. It was the la- last time you had
0: Shake Shack.
3: Yeah, it
0: I
2: was. Know.
3: Damn it! Now that I think about it, I miss Shake Shack. I know. Open?
0: Yeah. <sighs> we yeah, they're still open. We, yeah. uh, we I've spent some time over there recently. I oh, got Shake Shack at Electric, oh. and so I I, um, uh, I walked over to Shake Shack. Um, and I feel I like can... the
3: experts were keeping Shake Shack like in business over there on the well, that's, sunset.
0: That's where we always went to lunch. It's where we always uh, yeah. uh, took, our, took our guests who uh, were interested in some fun dining. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll and tell you know what checked, though,
3: at least, which was awesome. <laughs> in,
0: you, you know where we really ate well? In Vegas.
3: Yes, yes. We all know
1: what we Wait, did. Wait, didn't
3: somebody get an injury in Vegas? I
0: actually... Oh, you heard about that. It's true. My knee, uh, my we're whole knee leg. Is, that was it, uh, your knee. Three yeah. episodes in a row. Well, you know why? When it when it goes away, I'll stop talking about it. But uh, I'm I'm telling you, was that uh, your woman was completely oblivious? Injury. It is. It's terrible. It's a horrible thing. So you
2: should, I, I, you should
1: recognize a, the dangers of reopening old wounds. That's right.
0: Well, I,
2: I can't wait. You know, it's like eventually, like you know, the the uh, the wound is going to metastasize to the point where the only way we're going to be able to communicate with Mark is if he beeps once for yes and twice for
0: no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I've heard all these jokes already. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, although um, this episode will air after this momentous occasion, I would be remiss if I didn't mention how exciting it is that our captain, Bill Shatner, is going into space.
1: That's yeah. correct.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, eventually.
0: Yeah, no. but when this it's, airs, it will be in the past. By the time this
1: airs. Yes. Yes. Yes.
3: He I love will that. will return to how Earth. How awesome is that? That's, it's,
1: I'm just... It's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, to be quite honest, um, he is unfreaking believable. He's the man, and he will ever be the man. Mm, and you know, be. knock on wood, everything went well with the with the flight, and uh, Godspeed, mm. and he came back safe. And you know, he's he's awesome, and he is always pushing the outside of that envelope. Truly. It's Truly. what we
0: always said. People say, "How can he look and be so healthy at ninety years old?" It's this kind of thing. He's willing to do anything he wants to. You know, literally go where he's never gone before, try new experiences, have you know, go new places, uh, experience things he hasn't done. I mean, for him to say, "Yeah, I'll go into space
3: at the you know, end, of never 90, done that. that's right. that's oh, it's so impressive. I'm um, it's it's well,
1: dare, dare we say <laughs> that he has the right stuff <laughs> he, do, he does he does
0: indeed he does he uh, i just he want has... to
1: see the uh, slow-mo walk
2: yeah her, yeah know?
0: that's right that's
2: I mean, right he's really Walking just going to be
1: kind of shuffling but still no he doesn't shuffle he walks very deliberately
0: that's awesome i love he's that. not a shuffler at all no. at all so um so today we're talking about Star Trek Voyager, the original Bible. Now, Mike, uh, you, Michael, you didn't come on to the show until it's later season. So uh, it'll be interesting to sort of get your, your perspective. Of course, on Enterprise, you were there from the beginning. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, you'll, you'll see one of the things as we've gone from week to week from Next Generation to Deep Space Nine, the Bibles keep getting thinner. You know, there, yeah. there, there, there's definitely less meat on the bone, so to speak. I think there's a certain you know, feeling or understanding that, okay, you know this is, yep, we're trotting out another one. So uh, you've seen them. So this is just more of the, more of the same. It, it's, it's very interesting that this Bible begins with, Star Trek Voyager is set in the same timeframe as the next generation in Deep Space Nine. It chronicles the adventures of a Starfleet vessel, which must find its way back to the Federation from a distant part of the galaxy. And then it goes immediately into this very dense backstory. So I, I, I ask you guys, um, here's the the third modern Star Trek series, you know, following Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. Was it a mistake to introduce such a dense backstory uh, where you sort of have to come in with some kind of knowledge of what's going yeah. on?
1: Not, not, not at all. all.
0: Because
2: has it didn't play. It has it never it a part absolutely of no
1: relevance. It's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Just, yeah, just after, the it's pilot, there. after the pilot, throw all that stuff away because we're starting over, folks.
3: Yeah. You know, I think there's one way of looking at these, uh, you know, these documents that. Historical documents. Historical documents. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's easy, I think, to go, you know, in retrospect. Oh, my God. Didn't these, you know, what with what, what, what dummies, you know, they were. When did they realize what a, you know, not a great idea this might have been for a character or a relationship or a conflict? But, you know, with the exception of Darren, we're all writers here. And I don't know, I, I try to you know, approach documents like this with humility, having, having written things like this before. Um, and so often you don't really know what is going to work uh, on a show. You may have, you know, you have experience and instinct and ideas and things that excite you. But, you know, you're winging it a lot of the time and you know, you're trying to convince executives, the people who sure. hold the purse strings, whether, you know, whether you know what it is you're doing and you know frankly much of the time you're just making educated guesses or or, or an emotional educated guess. Well this sounds cool, this would be fun. So, you know, it's it's very interesting because I'm sure I read these documents back in the day, but I have like no recollection of it. And mm-hmm. I, I think as 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 you pointed out Mark, I I think they were kind of, you know, certainly in many ways, they become superfluous in, in the television industry uh, today in many ways, because there's there's very little in terms of like, you know, this is our arc for season one or season two. These shows were clearly not serialized. Um, so I, I don't know. I I, I, I I feel I feel for. You know, uh, Michael Piller and Jerry and, and Rick having put that document together, having, you know, come up with this, you know, Maquis storyline on on NextGen and, and, of course, on and follow that through on uh, on uh, Deep Space Nine and, and wanting to continue that and do something kind of cool and meaty. And, you know, you guys aren't wrong. I mean, if they, if they weren't, uh, you know, married to the concept or willing to defend it, I think ultimately they found it just wasn't working. You know, Mm -hmm. that it just introduced all of these weird, uh, uh, all these weird conflicts into the, you know, the the command structure of the show. And I think the things they even hint at in the document here, as I'm sure you'll go through, just they they just never did. They just they just never did. But I also think, you know, they were right not to do them because I I don't think it would have worked to have half the crew, you know, war with the other half. Yeah.
2: Well, I think the, the biggest thing that they, they ran into is that they, they set all of this stuff up as a, as for the pilot, right? And I guess in the context of the pilot, it sort of works. But it, it, unlike say something like Deep Space Nine, right? Where like you established that Major Kira is a Bajoran and she was part of the resistance against the Cardassians, right? And now you have Starfleet coming. You're living in the middle of her world where her world is relevant. Right. The second that you take these characters as they're designed, with conflicts that are essentially asserted, and you move them 40,000 light years away to the Delta Quadrant, to the Delta variant, uh, and like you make them live together, suddenly those conflicts are irrelevant. And the only way to make them relevant is to bake that into the writing. And I think at the end of the day, like, I, I just can't, having worked for you, PN, I, I-, I can't imagine that UPN was like super excited about getting into something like that and so none of that ever really manifested. Um, you know and it's just it's it was it was promising I think in the um, in this setup but in terms of how all the stuff that's in the Bible eventually ended up playing it just it didn't emerge. I mean obviously we're going to get into all of this but it's striking to me that in you know the original series Bible, In The Next Generation, in Deep Space Nine, there are so many elements of those characters. The exception is that the things that we say about the premise, about the characters, the exception is that they don't play into the show.
0: And your UPN show, I just want to point out to people who don't know what you're alluding to, is you're on the Twilight Zone.
2: Yeah, exactly. The uh, the one of the, well, the last two crappy ones. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, by the way, I do in fact have like an award from the AFI as like having worked on like one of the 100 best shows like in the history of whatever because I worked on the crappy UPN version of it. But neither here nor there. It's just, it's it's interesting to me that when the show actually got into its premise, that the Bible became less relevant to it like as a series than a bible had been to any of the other star trek shows
1: previous to it sure. i think that i think the difference here is that i think that all the writers who started on this had a pretty good idea of the kind of thing that they wanted to do this was basically a selling tool to the studio and the network I think that that has a lot more to do with, mm-hmm. with what is in here mm-hmm. than actually guiding the show.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's a, it's want,
2: in, you look at what's in the document. I mean, we'll get to that obviously, but there's a lot of, hey, aren't you
1: excited? Hey, wouldn't this be great? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I want to take a step back for a second with this because I, I want to add, you know, I want to, you know, we pointed out when we did Deep Space Nine that because Next Generation was on the air, the option of really doing another starship uh, boldly going where no one has gone before was not really an option now it's important again you know not to be ahead of our audience um because some are very young they don't realize the context this show premiered after next generation went off the air so it'd be six months where deep space nine was still on and then voyager would premiere rep- having replaced next generation mm-hmm. and so you have this option potentially To do, first of all, do a Starship show. But the question is, how simple do you want to go? I mean, would this show, would Voyager in a way have been the same show or a better show if it had just been the Voyager and um, never went to the Delta Quadrant, was never on its way home, and it was just basically, you know, the same mission as the Enterprise?
3: You know, having the benefit of hindsight, what... I, I think Voyager, I mean, there, there's a couple things Voyager could have, could have done a, a, a you know, a, a better job at, again, it's, it was a different, different time in TV. They were, you know, their mandate was to do standalone stories. Deep Space Nine was doing story arcs and, you know, they, they had to, they had to, you know, the writers often had to fight with, uh, you know, the head office over a lot of their plans. And so, you know, Voyager was, you know, definitely not going to be, not going to be that. Um, But a ship cut off from its fleet, uh, you know, cut off from star bases, cut off from Earth should be a ship you would you would imagine would be a ship that, you know, over seven years would get more and more dilapidated, would would would, you know, perhaps run out of uh, run out of antimatter or energy reserves. And Voyager did do stories like that, but there was no real sense even like in season seven of the show that the, that the ship was significantly, you know, it it just, you know, they never ran out of shuttlecraft. They never ran out of photon torpedoes. And of course you can with star Trek technology kind of, you know, create anything, but I I think the, you know, the magical, near magical ability of a a ship with replicator technology to make absolutely anything. I know. It just, it, it, it hurts the, it hurts the very premise of your show. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you almost want to say in that first episode, Oh damn it. Our replicators are offline and just keep them offline for seven seasons and, and lean into that. Um, It it was when the show really decided, you know, there were too many sort of next gen type stories that they wanted to do stories on the holodeck, you know, things that just didn't quite make sense for a show set in this, you know, far off corner of the galaxy. Now, if you're doing that, you know, then, you know, you don't get to do Captain Proton. And, and those episodes were a lot of fun. And, and uh, but, you know, so I, I, there was this push and pull, I, I feel like, between, look, just give us seven more years of Next Generation. And as writers, you know, I, I imagine Jerry and Rick and Brandon and everyone involved with that show uh, who had worked on Next Gen wanted to do something new and wanted to push themselves, um, again, with the benefit of hindsight. You know, instead of the Maquis, what I think could have worked, what ended up working the best on Voyager were the characters who really would not have fit in on a show like Next Gen. Characters like the doctor, for instance, who was a replacement for the, you know, the the ship surgeon who who was dead. So you have this EMH EMH program played by Bob Picardo, who who was wonderful, who, uh, you know, very early on ended up popping and kind of becoming a, a, a star character on the show. I think even the writers didn't, didn't anticipate that. Later, of course, we got Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine is a character who, you know, if you ran into her on Next Generation, she'd be in two episodes and then they would ship her home.
1: Right. Characters like, like
3: that. I'm sorry? Like Hugh. Like Hugh, exactly. So I think the premise of the, sh- the show, instead of bringing along the Maquis with their complicated backstory... Had they gone to the Delta Quadrant and a bunch of the crew were dead and now they needed to ally with a bunch of aliens, whether they were people like Seven Mm -hmm. or who who now must become a member of your crew. And now you're dealing with aliens who we know absolutely, you know, very little about. They're, They're brand new species. I mean, that's on the one hand exciting. It's also a huge challenge. Right. Uh, to, to create those species. You know, they did try that with Neelix to a certain extent. and Neelix was, you know, uh, Ethan Phillips, terrific actor. The character was kind of hit or miss. Uh, basically, You know, he, he did get some good episodes, but was kind of relegated to comic relief for much of the show. And, you know, th- that's okay.
4: Captain. May
5: I say, you look beautiful this morning. Is that a new color lipstick? No. <laughs> Oh, it's the same color I always wear it.
4: Well, perhaps it's just the way the
5: glow of the food heater lamps hit you, but you look wonderful. Uh, Not to suggest you don't always look wonderful. Neelix, do we have any coffee left? No,
4: but we have something even better.
5: I don't want something even better. I want coffee. It's made from a proteinaceous seed I discovered on an expedition. Never mind. I'll use one of my replicator rations for coffee.
4: That would not be appropriate, Captain. I beg your pardon? You need to set an example for the crew.
5: Well, thank you for reminding me.
4: You're welcome. After all, if you want the crew to begin to accept natural food alternatives instead of further depleting our energy
5: reserves, you need to encourage them by your own choices, don't you? Fine. Give me your even-better-than-coffee substitution.
4: And how about some
5: Takar lager headaches for that this morning? Just coffee
4: it's a tiny bit richer blend than you're used to but you'll learn to love it Rich to janeway
5: on my way janeway out tomorrow maybe
4: again
3: with the benefit of hindsight i think that would have been a having having voyager crewed by a number of uh, uh, alien or uh, you know former drones or, or whoever you run into out there in the Delta Quadrant, that, that would have given the, the show the kind of conflict that we ended up getting ultimately when, when Seven was uh, joined the cast.
1: But to, to address your original question, Mark, um, would, it have been, would it have been more feasible to basically do a clone of next generation on a different ship? I think that the, the premise of Star Trek, um, unless the ship is another enterprise, then you need a good reason to mm-hmm. have a series on it. And I think that throwing them into the Delta Quadrant, uh, quadrant gave that good reason, you know, uh, theoretically. And uh, otherwise, there's no, the, you know, then they're just doing things that the Enterprise would have done.
2: Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I think, go ahead. I just yeah. just say, that, you know, it's funny because on paper, right? When you imagine that the Voyager is... And it's funny because they never used the, even though technically she should have been, and she was never a she, which also she should have been. But when Voyager, you know, was uh, was stranded forty thousand light years away, the there was, I, I think, an opportunity and perhaps even an intention to recapture the sense from the original series that we were out on the frontier, that you know, that contact with Starfleet Command was like again an exception not a rule that at times the next generation was uh, for lack of a better word safe in that regard because we were connected back to the federation because that really informed storytelling in ways that um it weren't quite as present um in the original series deep space nine found its own way to make a meal out of that and and kind of turn that into the problem right cool on paper voyager like could have, should have, I think, felt like that. And I think when the show really worked, you know, Michael, it's like you were saying, right? Like when you find Seven of Nine, on The Next Generation, she's gone after two episodes because what do you do with her? Why do you keep her on board the ship? There's no good reason to keep her on board the ship. Yeah. But when you collect her like a piece that you keep with you and she stays on the journey, that suddenly becomes interesting because yeah. it adds to that sense that, you know, you're you're out there. You're on the frontier. That there is no help. That there's just you. You're the only ship in the quadrant, literally.
0: I think. I think the biggest issue regarding the McKee is unless you're a diehard Star Trek fan, you don't really understand the nuances. Uh, they're upset that uh, the territory is being ceded to the Cardassians. That they want. You know, it's very confusing. Now, even if you are, Arena, even if but, you are a diehard Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. you don't okay. really understand. But but if you if you look at something like Arena. You understand, aliens have attacked this, this outpost. We're chasing them, and we're going to destroy them for what they did. Now, that paradigm kind of works for Voyager in a sense. Not that I'm saying it's the Gorn or the Klingons, but if, if you have uh, faced an antagonist, and now you're chasing them down, and then you're both propelled to the Delta Quadrant, and now you have to broker a truce with the Klingons or the Cardassians or uh, the, the, the Gorn or whoever... And then you have to work together, and you're not sure if you should trust them. And you have to come back together, sort of, you, both your ships are damaged, and you have to work together and put the. That's interesting. Right. You're just because not. Because that's a real a adversary, yeah. we understand. But w- when you're parsing it with the, the McKee, they're Federation, but they're not really. They're sort of, yeah. you know, the, the disputes, fighting against the Federation. Yeah. Their, their dispute just
2: isn't present anymore. The thing that they had to fight about simply doesn't exist anymore. The
0: the territory they're fighting over doesn't matter when you're in the Delta Quadrant trying to get home. And to me, the idea of Star Trek, this kind of optimism where different alien species have to work together, it's like that that could have been a very interesting thing to explore if they had actually had to team up with sort of a more, um, an adversary that was more uh, uh, delineated Then something like the McKee, where, you know, as you guys have mentioned, you know, that that whole backstory was kind of Jess and very early on. And all this backstory that Darren's going to read to us really doesn't matter past the pilot. So, Darren, if you would, can you read us the backstory
2: of the backstory?
1: Let me see if I can turn it up a little bit. Can you do it in Jerry Taylor's voice? Absolutely not. Okay. The Cardassian War is over, but the conflict refuses to die. Cardassians within the demilitarized zone continue to harass Federation outposts, and while Starfleet responds to any significant aggression, some colonists have decided to take matters into their own hands. This group of resistance fighters calls itself the Maquis, and they are becoming more than a nuisance. The Federation considers them outlaws. The Starfleet ship Voyager is dispatched to search for a Maquis ship, which has disappeared in an unusual region of space known as the Badlands. They couldn't get Bruce
0: Springsteen's song, so uh, <laughs> it sounds great. Or, or Terrence like Malick to direct the pilot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. yeah. You want me to continue? Yeah.
1: Please. Oh. I'm riveting. Oh, all right. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but Voyager finds itself swept up in a strange and terrifying phenomenon, which ultimately deposits the ship at the far reaches of the galaxy so far that even at warp speeds, it would take nearly 70 years to return. The last of NASA's deep space probes. (laughs) (laughs) Commander
0: William Buck Rogers.
1: They also find the McKee ship there and in an uneasy liaison, the crews of the two ships agree to band together in order to maximize their chances of surviving and returning to Federation space. But the Maquis ship is destroyed and its crew must come aboard Voyager. The two ships' captains negotiate for key positions. The Maquis insist on certain pivotal roles for their senior staff. An agreement is struck and the ship sets out, manned by this unusual mix of Starfleet and renegade officers, some of whom get along, some of whom don't. Their quest is to find a shortcut home, a wormhole, or other phenomenon which will transport them over the huge distance in minutes or weeks. But the Voyager captain also insists that even though they are 70 years from Starfleet Command, they behave as a Starfleet crew. They will continue to go boldly to explore, study, and investigate so that when they do return, they will have amassed a vast wealth of knowledge about a heretofore unexplored region of space. Tonight on Voyager.
0: Now, I wonder, it's interesting, if this was the original document, this part was what they sent the network, because you'll notice they refer to the Voyager captain, and it's not gendered, right? because there was a point at which, when they were having trouble casting a female captain, they were considering casting an actor, a male actor, yeah. uh, instead. Wasn't Nigel Havers uh, uh, on that short list?
1: I had heard it was Fire? The, it was the, I, I had heard it was the actor from uh, Madness of King George. Hmm. Nigel Hawthorne? No, yeah. no, no. Maybe it was Nigel Havers.
2: Yeah. I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. Never but they did never catch Genevieve
0: Bourgeau. They did. They did. They did. She was did. very French. And Michael, you saw that that footage of Genevieve, and I think we've even talked about it on the show. Um, Genevieve Bougeau was Jean-Vivre. the... The, a- who, the actor from She's such fresh. films as Coma, and Trouble in Mind big, You know, who is a fairly well-known uh, Actress uh, Particularly in indie films Who was cast and then quit after a number Of, of days uh, Hours could seem like days um, is, my, my, Did you, you know, looking back At it, and again, you weren't on the show at the time Any thoughts about Genevieve
3: Bouchot? Genevieve Genevieve Yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I, as, as I understand it, yes, I, go Von Putnamaker, <laughs> <laughs> Meredith Burgess. You know, I, I think they were they were trying to go back to that uh, you know kind of Shakespearean well. They'd had such great success with uh, uh, you know with Patrick Stewart and 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 Shatner. They, they they wanted someone who, who 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 had who had chops outside of uh, television mm-hmm. and could right. command that respect. So I, I understand the choice. But yeah, you know, 26 episodes—that's it's that's grueling work. I mean, I think she was on the job for what two days and two decided days. It, it wasn't yeah. quite for her. Um, I'm I'm glad it didn't take any longer than that. I'm glad she didn't do like a full season, because um, because you know then it would have been the Chicote Show, which uh, would have been great. <laughs> my,
0: my my favorite my favorite story though was they were going to fire her, but they they didn't want to fire her because then they'd have to pay her off for the whole season. Right. And she ended up quitting. Right. You know, and it was like, and it was like, oh my God, if she had just stuck it out, she could have made so much money. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, that's why I say never quit, get fired. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Hang in there, baby.
3: <laughs> yeah. But um to jump ahead I, in the document though. Uh I- again, it's like. It, I think on the next page, they describe Voyager. Yeah. And it's smaller, sleeker, and more advanced than the Enterprise. And I mean, I, I saw that and I immediately thought, well, why not make Voyager an old ship? Yeah. <laughs> you know, make mm-hmm. it clunker that, uh, you know, Jane, you know, uh, Janeway's commanding it. it it's, it's certainly a capable vessel, but at least that's different from the Enterprise, which was. Okay, yeah, so it's got a smaller the, crew. The Enterprise has a 1,000 people on it. And Voyager has a 100. It's like, it's it's all the same sets redressed. It's the same number of extras walking around the yeah. hallway. That, that number doesn't mean anything. That's right. Um, it's a big
2: intellectual idea. It's it's arbitrary. And it never felt more advanced. I mean, I guess it felt smaller. Because, but if it's like, it just... What they what they wanted from it, I don't think played. I
3: mean, it was Voyager. I think is about the size of Kirk's Enterprise. So, um, yeah. but yeah, why not? Why not again? Try something different. Why does it have to be cooler and sleeker? And and it, again, I think form. that would have been a bigger. I think they were, they were probably afraid to 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 make it, you know, a little more grungy, like you know, Galactica later did. But I, I, that, I think to me, been such a, a better first step.
0: But everything is also a response to deep space nine yeah. deep space nine was gritty and dark and run down and the card it was cardassian architecture so it's like you can't say to you know the the network to upn uh which remember this is not for the studio anymore this is for uh um the upn for an actual network sort of uh, <laughs> and uh, and so uh, and you know they they can't say oh it's run down it's gritty because, you know, that's no one is going you know, to say oh, like Deep Space Nine. We don't want that. That's true. I mean, they almost have to say it's sleek. It's like, the you know, better than the Enterprise. It's way right. better
1: than what we've had
3: before. Way better. They can go up 9.97. Oh, my that's God, That's like a
0: whole point
2: nine seven more. I mean, yeah. bear in mind also that UPN had no other freaking shows. What are they like, Pigsty? I mean, come on,
0: like yeah, homeboys home from anymore. outer space. Yeah,
2: they don't have anything. The the you know this was supposed to be the flagship man and like you're like a baby nothing you you've got nothing it's like you know everything is is riding on this it's like they barely like had enough to do by the time Twilight Zone came around it's just. All like, and eyes this is, were this on the tension.
3: You've got, you know, you've got executives who just want next gen to continue, but right. different. So they can, you know, new characters cut everybody's salary and and make the show for less money. And, you know, just do what you were doing before. I, I think that was probably uh, you know, the marching orders. But mm-hmm. as writers, you know, you know, Pillar and Taylor and, and Berman probably uh I, I imagine want to do something different and new and take some risks and 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 I'm not, you know, I, I think some of the risks they, they tried to take with the Maquis didn't quite work out. I think they might have stood their ground if they felt it was working. Um, mm. whatever one may think of the, the Maquis storyline on, on the other series, it, it, it I, I don't know that it, it again, it's like there's even things in here in, in this document descriptions of the Maquis in, in the pilot how they would negotiate for like who gets to be captain and who gets to be first. Pilot. I mean, it's like they didn't even do that, they didn't
1: even do that. Yeah. In the pilot. It just kind I, of
3: happened, he's yeah, like, you get just- appointed.
2: Like, the, the Maquis, like, even as an idea, the, the only place they, they ever really played, I think, effectively, even though I think they were introduced in Next Generation, but, um, but it, in Deep Space Nine was for the uniform, right? It was Eddington, right? Eddington was, like, the one Maquis who actually played like a Maquis and you totally got it. Um, and for the uniform was, like, the only episode of any of the shows where you feel like that Maquis conflict was emerging as something that felt like drama was connected to it, which is not a knock on Voyager at all. I think it was like, in theory, you go, oh yeah, of course. Right? Like these guys like butt heads, they have different ways of looking at the world. And, but the truth is like Mark said, like those differences weren't sharp enough to like, to to create the kind of conflict I think that they hoped for, especially in a world where you've got UPN
0: saying, what if there
2: wasn't conflict
0: about these things?
2: What if they're just flying around the galaxy, shooting phasers I and like exploring? I like Michael's shit?
0: idea that you know, uh, uh, in the document, you know, they're they're battling for who's going to be the captain. You know, so Janeway and and Chakotay can play rock paper scissors and decide who's going to be the captain.
3: Well, was, they got to fight you know, to the death on the ho- on the holiday. That would have been cool, right? Yeah. The on wound <laughs> and the out and just you know, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's let's read a little bit about Captain Elizabeth Janeway, uh, uh, Darren, if you would. <laughs> Um, Can you do it in your Bible? Captain, captain Elizabeth Janeway. voice? And your, your Catherine Hepburn voice? Elizabeth oh, Janeway, oh. <laughs> a
1: human. Janeway is by no means the only female captain in Starfleet, but it is oh. generally acknowledged Scott. No, because there's also- the
0: uh, Scott. Captain Kirk- <laughs> And Una uh, by the body of Janet Lester. That's right. Um, oh, yes, wait, uh, that's right, Una Carapleides, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Go May ahead. I continue?
2: Yes. Yes. Rachel Garrett, for God's sake, commanded the Enterprise. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah,
1: But it is generally acknowledged that she is among the best, male or female. She embodies all that is exemplary about Starfleet officers. Intelligent, thoughtful, perspicacious, sensitive to the feelings of others, tough when she has to be, and not afraid to take chances. She has a gift for doing the completely unexpected, which has bailed her out of more than one scrape, I'll tell you that, brother um <laughs> we talked about perspicacious her alarm ahead, and please. perspicacity uh serves her well uh the daughter of a mathematician mother and an astrophysicist father janeway was on track for a career in science science her natural leadership abilities manifested Torres. you're However, beautiful Sorry. She was rapidly promoted to ever more responsible positions. And because of her hands-on experience in various science posts, she brings her captaincy a greater familiarity with technology and science than any captain we've yet experienced.
5: We're alone in an uncharted part of the galaxy. We've already made some friends here and some enemies. We have no idea of the dangers we're going to face. But one thing is clear. Both crews are going to have to work together if we're to survive. That's why Commander Chakotay and I have agreed that this should be one crew. A Starfleet crew. And as the only Starfleet vessel assigned to the Delta Quadrant, we'll continue to follow our directive to seek out new worlds and explore space. But our primary goal is clear even at maximum speeds it would take 75 years to reach the federation but i'm not willing to settle for that there's another entity like the caretaker out there somewhere who has the ability to get us there a lot faster we'll be looking for her and we'll be looking for wormholes spatial rifts or new technologies to help us somewhere along this journey we'll find a way back mr paris set a course for home Aye, captain
1: even spock anyway her relationship with her mother a starfleet theoretical mathematician was particularly close and she, compelling stuff. and she used to enjoy talking with her, discussing esoteric issues of math, as well as down-to-earth issues of life. Her mother was her role model and bequeathed Janeway with warmth, sensitivity, intellectual curiosity, and likability. Well, you can tell Jean was dead by now because there's no sensuality. <laughs> yeah, mentioned. yeah. She misses her mother's presence in her life. Would you like me to continue? Here's about a a page left. (laughs) Please. No, no. I think this is important. Janeway was in the midst of a relationship with a man when Voyager took its unscheduled leap to the edge of the galaxy. The last conversation she had with him took place on a monitor, and it was rushed. Harried chat. She never realized it was to be the last. Although she keeps up a positive front about finding a quick way home, she realizes that she may never reach Federation space in her lifetime. And that her lover, after an appropriate mourning period, will move on and undoubtedly find someone else, and she will stop talking about him after an episode. See, this is the same
0: arc as of uh, Adama when they had to leave uh, right. the colonies and found out that his wife was dead on Caprica. Remember, in seventy-eight Galactica, that's that's it when Apollo says maybe she wasn't here, and Adama looks at Apollo and says she, she was, was here. here.
1: These thoughts held at bay during the day tend to surface in the middle of the night when it's hard to sleep there's the roddenberry sentence jane way is respected (laughs) and loved by the members of her crew but what about the renegades their captain chakotay has agreed to to the position of first officer and must now report to a starfleet officer Chekote himself develops a strong bond with Janeway. How long were they in the McKee that they're not used to support?
0: I mean, like, this has been going on not very long, right? Not long at all. Just a couple episodes. Oh, my God. Now he has to report to a a Starfleet officer. Okay. -er. (laughs) He
1: He himself develops a strong bond with Janeway. He had known of her, heard of her diplomatic and tactical exploits, and realizes that if they were to be dumped at the ends of the galaxy with any captain, they're lucky it was this one. Tom Paris has been given his chance at redemption by Captain Janeway, and he's determined to prove to her that it was a good idea. But Belana maintains a distance between herself and the captain. She won't be won over so easily. Well, that's really interesting because they're mentioning these characters that- They um, haven't introduced We yet. haven't met, they haven't introduced <laughs> right? the I can
2: like see like, like the, the network executive notes Who is this? (laughs) It's coming back. I don't know. Read on. It's right. It's the next thing.
0: So of course now, uh, what do you think, Mike? Michael, do you feel that's a good distillation of what Janeway would become? Do you feel that's an interesting description, a compelling character that they've laid out for us? I mean,
3: you know, uh, I, I don't know. I it's it's just a lot of it's just a lot of you know boilerplate. I think (laughs) It, it doesn't really. You know, like her, 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 uh, her boyfriend was ultimately, you know, referenced in a couple of episodes, and he did move on and and like marry a coworker. I think we established after you know Voyager was declared lost. Again, it's 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 you know these documents are 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 of of I don't know, questionable, questionable use. Totally uh, kind of part of it is you want to you, you want to figure out these characters as you're as you're writing them. Uh, but also you have to, you know, you you, you want a big star or, or certainly a, a very good actor to, you know, to be cast in these roles. And you want to be able to explain to them what you are intending with the character. I think Janeway, as she developed, is more or less, you know, along the lines of, of what's laid out here bi- biographically. Um, you know, one of the things that is, I guess, kind of, most you know, almost risible elements of, of, you know, any of these types of documents is they start to explain like which characters are really going to like each other which characters mm-hmm. which men. you just don't know wait and you just point. don't know and and uh you know sometimes they do i think in the next gen bible it said that like geordie and data were going to be best buddies and, and they, they kind were. of were and they totally you know meshed his actors and his characters but i, I think in this document it, it, well, it even says something here about like janeway and balana right right <laughs> they're going to be like real like I, they 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 looked like they wanted to punch each other half the time again, which is fine. But like that that was that was what those actors brought to the to those roles. So yeah, I don't know. I think this segment could have been uh, a, a lot shorter. But you know, I got a I got a quick power nap in, so I'm to... Okay.
2: What uh, I find uh, interesting about it is that the the most important thing they said about the character was not in this section, right? It's like our give a shit factor like on like missing mommy is a zero. But where it gets interesting is back in the premise where you're talking about the fact that she's insisting that even though you're 40,000 freaking light years away, right, that you are a 70 year journey away. You're stuck with these yahoos like in all of these key positions, right, Maki on yahu- a ship that is cut off, right? The Yahoos right? That's yeah, a technical term. You, you get that. Uh, that's what they call themselves. They're not officers. We're the yahoos. Um, that she insists on running it like a Starfleet vessel, right? Now, you take a choice like that, like, that's interesting. You lean into that, and suddenly, like, you're Alec Guinness in Bridge on the River Kwai, right? It's like, you're in this incredibly insane situation, insisting on behaving as though the situation is not insane, right? And, and I think when Janeway was at her best, like, when, as she was portrayed in the show versus what was in the Bible it really was that tension between it's kind of nuts to treat this like a Starfleet vessel. And at the same time, you totally get why you have to treat it like a Starfleet vessel. Like that inherent conflict, right? Plays into who that character is. What's missing from this Bible and from these character descriptions are the conflicts, right? Like not like the political, like intellectual, arbitrary, asserted conflicts that exist outside of character, but inside. And if you go back and you look at what was in the original series Bible, and uh, what was in the Deep Space Nine Bible to a certain extent, I mean, in the next generation,
1: eh,
2: um, those, things are, those things are present and they're not here, but, but they kind of are. And it's just fascinating to me that, that maybe that's why, like that stuff that was really juicy, like this is how she wants to run the ship, was the stuff that stuck. And the stuff that wasn't super juicy, the stuff that inspired the power nap, Right, it's like just, just didn't live. It's fascinating.
0: But she likes math. She does and love coffee. math. Who doesn't love, who doesn't <laughs> and
2: coffee, love math? Put it together. I can add two and two and get four, just like anyone.
0: Um, you all That's own. why. You old fool. <laughs> yeah, that's where it's like the Jerry Taylor, Michael piller Bourbon of it all. It's like, she likes math. She loves math um, and her father's an astrophysicist. And she has a, you know, also I, I, I tell I you what we're going to do. It, we're going to turn this girl around I'll, and run straight at her. I also think you want to avoid the tropes. And so like the fact that this is the first female starship captain that's going to top line their own series. It's like, don't give them a boyfriend. They're pining over back home, you know? I think it diminishes the character. You know, it's like you know, Captain Kirk didn't have time for uh, you know someone in his life because he, he would love to ship. If, you know, Picard he was so alone not have because I he had
2: a kid. Forgot about it,
1: and yeah.
0: So I'm, I, but I'm just saying, it's like why? Because we're doing the first female captain. Does she have to yeah. have you know this this guy that you know she 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 you know back home that she's thinking about, and then you know it's like did they not? You know, she had to be. Was this a way that they because they did not want to make her sexualize her in any way, right? So, by saying that she had someone she was loyal to back home, they could avoid the why isn't she like you know having any kind of uh, interest in any kind of male crew members and exploring that dynamic or you know, aliens or you know, we explained what by basically she's asexual for seven years, certainly not during the daytime, I bet at night. Well, she's going on the holodeck and, and playing Outlander.
3: Right. So until, until.
2: That would be amazing. But yes, I, actually, mean, I, right. I do think is.
3: that, it, you know, it was not a bad idea at all. I think to give her an emphasis on, you know, science and, and, and math. I think she has Janeway as a character has you know very, been very inspirational to uh, a, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, young women. And
0: definitely, particularly definitely.
3: The, you know, the STEM fields, which have been, you know, dominated by men for far too long. So I, I, I just think the document just kind of went on and on and belabored the point, but. Uh. I, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: I agree. I mean, we're having a little fun with this,
3: yeah. but uh, Look, it's, you're it's absolutely cool right. It's
2: cool that I she's mean. essentially the, the science officer, right? It's just, just yeah. what was missing from the document was like, like what was the thing that makes her go, right? Like what was that thing that makes her make decisions and why does she make them and why are they wrong and why are they Coffee. right? Coffee. right Right. coffee Coffee. you're right it It almost is is the way
1: it's not gray hot
0: it's written that she loves math rather than she has an insatiable curiosity about the universe that's Right. right like there's a way to describe her love of science and math but in a way that like wow you know she 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 digs this and like you admire and respect her passion it's just written in a very bland kind of what she loves Matt. Like, who loves Matt, right?
2: Because then you get into a (laughs) story where it's like,
0: no. You you get (laughs) into a story
2: where, like, you know, you've you've got an opportunity to explore, like, the strange new world, or, like, you are continuing your beeline home. Of course, right? If she is passionate about, like, exploring strange new worlds, if that's her thing, if that's her jam, right? And she's still running it like a Starfleet vessel. I 100% get why she says, screw it. We're going to dive into that anomaly and why the Maquis would look at her and go, are you out of your mind?
3: Right. How okay. cool so would that have been, that- though? How cool would that have been, though, to have a captain who she's been, you know, their ship's been thrown tens of thousands of light years away. No one's been in this part of the galaxy. The opportunity to explore as a scientist would be like irresistible. I it's yeah. not see what happened on the original series. And what if she made the choice and she did ultimately make the choice to, to stay there, but she makes the choice to help out a bunch of aliens in the pilot who we've never even known. But what if she stayed to make that choice as a scientist in order to bring that knowledge back back home? That right. to me is a very and the crew would not be very happy about that, yeah. just as they weren't happy about you know her blowing up the caretaker. Right. To me, that would have been a much more character thing for a captain to do, maybe a little more controversial, but certainly in line with the, the character that they're pitching here someone who loves science and exploration. Yeah.
0: And is, you know, she going to break the prime directive to do, you know, stuff to protect the ship and do things, you know, and it's like, there's, there's a lot to, you know, a, there's a, a lot of things they could have really dug into, but look, it's no secret that particularly in that first and second season, the show really struggled to find its identity. And, you know, a lot of that was even the, you know, Michael and Jerry and and, and Rick weren't on the same page. You know, Michael kept wanting to pursue uh, the ill-advised, um, kazon arc which right. everyone hated you know jerry taylor hated it i mean you know rick hated it but they indulged michael and he you know thought oh we're gonna do it's like gangs in la but they're in space you know and 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 everyone hated that And you know finally he admitted i guess you know reluctantly that they were kind of right and that's that's why by the time you get to those later seasons you guys are doing the borg and stuff because stuff like the kazon just isn't working although right. you know
3: I mean Voyager, you know, I, I think for a lot of people over overdid the Borg, particularly once uh, seven arrived. but I, I think in some ways you could you could make the argument that that Voyager, the premise of Voyager was hurt by Star Trek First Contact, which had not been released yet. Mm-hmm. And they were saving the Borg and they didn't want to do any Borg stories until the movie had been released because they, they just didn't want to step on it. So you had two years of kind of, you know, middling uh, villains on Voyager. The Vedians, I think, I don't know, first or second season, they were interesting, but you couldn't do a whole heck of a lot with them. And, you know, maybe that just would have meant, uh, you know, Borg burnout had they run into the seven of nine in the pilot. But I I think it would have been a a much more uh, dynamic and engaging show. Uh, from from the get-go. Well,
2: I think the Vidians yeah. were actually super cool. Like, their yeah, their I first like the appearance. I, I love that like first episode. And I love, like... they Faj. Their, yeah, the, yeah, Faj, the Faj, Faj. And I loved her at the end of that episode, right? Where she's basically like, this is obviously a paraphrase, it's like, look, you screw with me again. <laughs> I'm going to blow the unholy shit out of you. Like, you just need to understand it, right? I'm like, okay, you go, right? That's fucking awesome. And then the next time we see them, that's not what happened at all. Um, but I think that you know, the the Borg are one of those things where it's it's always going to be diminishing returns because every time you survive them, they become less scary, which is what I thought ultimately was like kind of great about um about Unity. It was an interesting way into the problem, right? That like that, the, that didn't yeah. force you um, to just kind of go, oh well, I guess like the the borg are, are like less dangerous now than they they were before. The thing that's
3: been that's interesting about them has been kind of filed away but it's just again like with the the benefit of hindsight take the same number i don't know how many borg episodes that they that they did but like take that same number and just spread them over seven seasons instead of you know the the final four and it might have felt more balanced
0: Mm -hmm. you know you look at something like year of hell which people love Mm -hmm. and you know that's exactly what you're saying it's like you solely see the ship falling apart and being damaged and you know struggling to to survive and you know would that have been a more interesting arc over a couple of seasons than in a two-part episode? You know, certainly that was something that, you know, for a long time that Brandon wanted to do. It's something that, you know, Ron wanted to bring to the series during his short tenure, but you know, they weren't able to do it. And yet that episode is super popular, but okay. Let's talk about Locarno now. I mean, Tom Paris. Let's talk about Um, character
2: pain. I mean, Tom Paris.
4: Chakotay will tell you he left Starfleet on principle to defend his home colony from the Cardassians. I, on the other hand, was forced to resign. He considered me a mercenary, willing to fight for anyone who'd pay my bar bills. Trouble is, he was right. I have no problem helping you track down my friends in the Maquis, Captain. All I need to know from you is what's in it for me.
5: You help us find that ship, we help you at your next outmate review uh-huh officially you'd be a starfleet observer during the mission observer oh hell i'm the best pilot you could have you'll be an observer when it's over you're cut loose
4: story of my life yeah we're never gonna read to that actually- you know
2: yeah sure tom paris paris's career in starfleet was expected to be exemplary he descended from a proud lineage of starfleet legends his great-grandfather, grandmother, father, and aunt, were all admirals. It's a lot of freaking admirals. Everyone assumed that Tom, who was bright, capable, and charming, would achieve those same heights. No one knew that Tom felt a tremendous pressure to live up to the name his family had carved, like Locarno, and had grave doubts about whether that was possible.
1: It to reminds fair- me of Lieutenant Dan in uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, Lieutenant Dan?
2: yes. He fared well enough at Starfleet Academy. His grades, while not dazzling were decent, he played on the Parise's, the Parisi's Squares team and participated in various activities, like the debate club, the chess club. He loved D&D. His greatest skill was as a pilot, and he often said he'd rather pilot a ship than sit in the captain's chair, is what he said. After graduation, he joined a unit of Starfleet's SAV division, the small attack vessel, where his piloting skills would be put to good use. But there was an accident during a war games demonstration. A pilot was killed and Tom Paris, fearing his reputation might suffer and derail his career, lied and placed the blame on the dead man. Unfortunately for Paris, uh, Nick lacarno had already attempted this trick and Starfleet was <laughs> wait on a minute. Him. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The fault was actually his and had he simply owned up to that, he would have been disciplined. Oh, yes. He was young. He was so young and was terrified of bringing disgrace onto his illustrious family. That mistake cost him dearly. When the lie was revealed, he was discharged. His worst fears had been realized. He had sullied the family name. He sank into a severe depression, wandering the next few years aimlessly, piloting freighters and tankers just to be behind the controls of a ship again, the only place he felt even vaguely alive. At one point, he landed in a port, where he fell into a game of double with some members of the Maquis. And at the end of a long night, he ended up joining them. Also, he became a Maquis. They offered him the one thing he wanted most, to pilot a sleek starship in situations which require extraordinary prowess. He wasn't much interested in their cause, but it did provide a fight which took his mind off the fight with his own soul. He was with them barely a month when he was captured. Oops.
0: And in his mind, that was another failure.
1: Because it, yeah. it is. Because yeah,
0: it is. You know, it's funny. I think of that line that Wesley had in Next Gen. In I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. <laughs> Except, what are you talking about? Have you met Captain Kirk?
2: <laughs> you, you know what the Corbamite maneuver is? Hey, that's bluffing. That's not lying. <laughs> well, it's, and uh, it's exaggerating. a lie and
1: a It's
2: Exactly. It's, uh, you're exaggerating. When Captain Janeway contacts him in prison, it is with the gift of a new chance at life. And he has always credited her for that opportunity. He would stop a phaser blast for her and is determined to make her glad she gave him a chance. He of all the crew is not dismayed by the cruel fate which has befallen them. What does it matter that they're at the ends of the galaxy? He's flying a ship and having adventures. That's just what he wants to be doing. And it doesn't matter particularly to him where it happens. He has an affection for Balana, seeing in her a character we haven't met yet, seeing in her a soul at war and reminding him of himself. And like Balana, he is drawn toward the rock like steadiness of another
0: character we haven't met yet uh, Duvang.
2: Duvang. Yarnock. Yarnock. <laughs> Tuvi. Tuvix.
0: Okay. Captain. Okay. Tuvix. Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> what do we have to say about Tom Paris?
3: Well, they certainly did a good job of anticipating the relationship with Bolana which ultimately did happen. Yeah, that's and, and true. And it's kind of a fun, uh, you know, I, 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 I wrote some of those stories and some of those scenes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, you can even see here, <laughs> it seems like they almost copied and pasted the background for the, you know, Locarno character from Next Gen and changed a couple of details for, you know, as I'm sure the legal department would have asked um it's, it's too just bad right. i would have loved it if it had been lucardo i yeah, wish they had a writer just yeah, pay let's the writer
2: payment right pay the
3: writer it's i don't know it wasn't even that much was, money I think it was like no, 70 bucks an episode was. or something uh,
2: i mean i like to think yeah, of it this character way. payments
0: are like 70 bucks an episode yeah yeah nothing. but it's five percent
2: it's it's so much fun like but that's a whole other conversation but i think look what was what was smart about putting tom paris into this even though he was nick lucarno is I maybe this is wrong information, but it feels right. Is that the agenda was Robbie McNeil, who I think was an asset to the show? Right, yeah. it's like he was charismatic, he was good. It was yeah. like that conflict felt um, felt genuine. Like he felt like an outsider, I think, in the best way. And his um, his backstory, I, I, I would say, almost uniquely of the the crew that's in the Bible feels present in the show at least for a while at least until it mm-hmm. kind of
0: stops mattering um but he was he was always interesting well i mean in the pilot they go she goes and gets him out of prison yeah yeah so i mean that's it's interesting, like 48 hours <laughs> he, he, he that scene, he he's like roxanne. singing
2: roxanne yeah
0: it's spatial audio that's right <laughs> like, don't be atmos it's crazy It's crazy man okay so chakotay uh, first Native American character, non the Paradise Syndrome. Um, uh, Michael, do you want to read tell us a little bit about Chakotay? Sure,
3: Chakotay, the first officer is a complex, some would say difficult man well having worked with the actor. Um, his background <laughs> understands him. His background is unique. <laughs> he spans two cultures, one foot in each belonging to both, and yet to neither. In the 22nd century, a group of, I'm sure they meant American Indian or Native American here. You can, it's funny, you can read the entire Chakotay thing where they just talk Indian, Indian, Indian and, and think you're talking about someone from the nation of India. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, a group of American Indian traditionalists have become dissatisfied with the homogenization of humans that was occurring on earth, strongly motivated to preserve their cultural identity. They relocated to a remote planet near what has now become known as the demilitarized zone. Chakotay is a member of that Indian nation but uh, was always what his people call a contrary. He had a mind of his own, an individual individualistic rather than communal way of thinking. Though proud of his heritage and tr- his traditions, he was not satisfied to ignore the galaxy around him—a galaxy teeming with diverse life forms, and amazing technology and math. Uh, he broke from his people, educated himself on the ways of twenty fourth century of the twenty fourth century. He went to Starfleet Academy. Uh, But he was contrary at the Academy also and found he had difficulty adhering to the rigid codes and rules. He was commissioned and posted to the Merrimack. I guess he went back in time, huh? Right. (laughs) At the end of the Cardassian (laughs) War, not the Civil War, the Cardassian Wars, when he learned that his people were becoming victims of attacks by the Cardassians, he left Starfleet to defend them, joining the then infant group, the Maquis. Chakotay never gave up his practice of traditional rituals, and he preserves them aboard Voyager in his quarters is a native american altar and other traditional fetishes hmm Mm. (laughs) one wall
1: (laughs) there's a word bring
2: bring out the gimp mr Uh, chakotay bring out the gimp.
3: one wall contains a version of traditional mural art he visits the holodeck where he has a a habak program for the celebration of his people's ceremonial cycle. Uh, As an adolescent, Chakotay pursued a vision quest and in doing so obtained a spirit guide, a timber wolf, which appears to him now in dreams and visions and often guides him in his decision-making process. Uh, He has a reverence for all living things, and when he eats, he offers thanks to the earth for providing food. He will not eat meat. I don't know if we, did we follow that on the show? I'm not sure. He takes no drugs or alcohol. As a leader, he is steady, fearless, and capable of inspiring absolute devotion. Though he comes off the Voyager more by necessity than choice, he quickly wins the respect of even the most diehard Starfleet veterans. Some might even say too quickly. He strikes an immediate and powerful bond with Janeway and an unusual one with Kim, okay? Who through <laughs> Chicote's example begins to question his own homogenization and the loss of his traditional values.
4: And you want to do things the Maquis way? That's right. That's always worked for us. <coughs> that's the Maquis way too, isn't it? And if you want to keep doing it the Maquis way, that's fine with me. We can do that tomorrow, the next day, every day until you report to Lieutenant Tubok. You understand me? What? How does a Starfleet crewman answer a question? Yes, sir. Does anybody else have a problem?
1: Uh. So he, he says thank you to the Earth? he hasn't been on in years (laughs) that's
3: right yeah exactly you know know, when you get when you get food from the replicator you want to
1: thank right thank you i want to thank thank you it
0: feels like such a missed opportunity in that the reason that he joins is because his native american planet is attacked by the Cardassians. it almost feels like if he feels like what's happening with the Cardassians evokes what happened to his people in previous centuries that he, you know, he feels the need to join the McKee. You know, there, there's an opportunity to make a social statement that I think is a lot more powerful than just, oh, the Cardassians are attacking the planet with my people, as you know, and 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 you know, go for the metaphor and just like it's just such I don't know. I it just I and also I just don't know a lot of this is spirit animal. I, I vaguely remember an episode first season, I think where. Like you see the spirit animal or comes to life or something. And it was just
2: awful. Well, I think that was also kind of a a missed opportunity, right? Because I read this and what I hear, right? Or when I hear it read out loud and then read it um, is here's a chance to put a character into Star Trek who has a, has a spiritual life, Right. Um, and it isn't dependent on the existence of aliens in any way. Uh, mm-hmm. It is simply a spiritual life, um, which is which is an interesting point of view. Which, frankly, is a more interesting point of view to me um, than the than the maki point of view, right? Because none again, none of that is present. It's not real. By the way, this is the second episode in this Bible, second character in a row, so not episode character, um, where. The character sort of emerges from something that was a Wesley Crusher episode of The Next Generation. Very odd, um, but it's just that never became a thing. I mean, Spirit Animal notwithstanding, right? It's I don't know that like that the that Chakotay's spiritual life was ever an important enough facet of his character that it colored the things, the decisions that Janeway had to make. The situation too
0: bad because it's interesting to examine that in a secular world, Mm -hmm. how someone who's spiritual, you know, it's kind of like with major Kira, but it would have been interesting to examine, you know, how he can live in the secular world and still maintain his spirituality, which the show didn't really deal with very much. Mm
3: -hmm. I think that's right. I, I, Chakotay, I think in many ways, was a real missed uh, opportunity. I, I think that, You know, by making him this sort of, you know, no name, generic Native American tribe, they 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 didn't have to commit to anything. And I I feel that that was sort of the easy way out. You know, I think it's a very bold idea to have a Native American character as your second in command. Um, But, you know, own that, you know, do the research or you know, hire a, a Native American writer. Uh, you know, for, for the show. I mean, it, it, that that's that. If you're going to do it, then really do it. And I, I think they 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 really pulled their punches with Chakotay. And I don't think a character like Chakotay could exist on a on a on a modern show, Star Trek or otherwise. I think you'd have to be more specific. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Belcher, I think, is a fine actor, um, and uh, you know, very famously, very you know, had very you know, publicly had a lot of disagreements with the directions his character took. But I, I just think it didn't help. By making him a sort of generic Native American, because you know that seemed like a, a, a PC thing to do, I think their hearts were in the right place, but I think that ultimately hurt the character.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah, and then uh, one of the more uh, interesting uh, characters on the show is uh, Tuvok, who is the the the, the Vulcan on uh, the requisite Vulcan character on. Uh, now, this of course is the first Vulcan since. So Spock, as a regular on a show, because Next Gen didn't have a Vulcan, Deep Space Nine didn't have a Vulcan, so. Um, and the first full, full-blooded
3: Vulcan, I think,
0: right. right? Yeah, right, he's on. He is on. Come
5: in. Captain, this is unexpected. I've been in your quarters before.
4: Indeed, but so rarely that I can remember each instance. Vulcan spice tea. Hot. And it was always at a time when you were particularly troubled. Right as usual.
5: Oh, thank you. Commander Chakotay has proposed that we make an alliance with one of the Kazon factions. We wouldn't give them weapons or technology. But we would pledge to support and defend them if they're attacked.
4: I'm sure that made you uncomfortable.
5: How can I consider it? I can't just... Walk away from the precepts Starfleet has laid out for us. You don't deal with outlaws. You don't involve yourself in the political machinations of other cultures. It goes against everything I believe, everything I've trained for, everything experience has taught me.
4: Quite right. Do I hear a however coming? You are perceptive, Captain. I believe Commander Chakotay's suggestion does have merit. Help me understand that. When I was a young man... A great visionary named Spock recommended an alliance between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. This produced a major dispute. The Klingons, after all, were outlaws, employing violence and brutality in order to build their empire. I myself spoke out against such a coalition. But the alliance was forged, and it brought a stability to the Quadrant that had not been there for 200 years. Spock's suggestion, so controversial at first, proved to be the cornerstone of peace yeah not since david gattro had there been a vulcan
0: of this magnitude um (laughs) so uh tuvok is described as the vulcan tactical security officer uh who's getting on in years he's 160 about 60 in dog uh, human years but (laughs) is as fit as people half his age he's a powerful combination of maturity wisdom experience and vitality his vulcan equanimity and patience serve him well in his role as the ship's peacekeeper, but it is his unofficial role which most binds him to the other crew members. His grandfatherly presence. That's what an actor wants to hear. Grandfather. Uh, he was in his 30s. His grandfatherly presence is comforting to many, particularly the young and headstrong Balana, and his age is seen as a virtue. Many of the crew turn to him for advice and counsel and are rarely disappointed. Tuvok has lived long. But he is and prospered, but he has also lived well, tasting of most of life's experiences. He married young, had four children, three of whom are in Starfleet, and outlived his wife of 90 years. He has grandchildren for whom he feels much devotion that at times it threatens to shelter, shatter his Vulcan emotional control. <sighs> it is th- this loss, <laughs> they don't get Vulcans. Um, it is this loss not to see them grow and flourish that he feels most keenly. He has worked with Janeway for some time. They know each other well and have achieved the kind of comfortable relationship that comes with time and experience. She turns to him as a strong shoulder. She is the person he turns to when he needs one, but is with Balana and Tuvok who has the most intense relationship. His calm, logical demeanor is comforting to her and reassuring that one's volatile instincts can be contained. Without Tuvok, Balana's journey would be a a much rougher one. He's the Philip Boyce. A voyager, according to the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the way you wrote him, is it, Michael?
3: Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah I, Tim Russ was. Is, I, I liked writing for Tuvok. It was. It was. It, I, I love falling into that. You know, uh, that Vulcan point of view. I always wanted to, again, at least as I understood Vulcans from what we knew about Spock. I, I thought it was very interesting that you had a character who you know, was, uh, you know, presumably a, a vegetarian and someone who uh, was not a, a fan of violence, physical violence, was a security officer for the ship. You know, mm-hmm. I think we all remember from the original series, you know, where Amanda talked about the dispute between Spock and Sarek, and she said, Vulcans believe that peace should not depend on force. Okay, so now they have a Vulcan who's a security officer. What is that all about? I mean, there's a mm-hmm. to me, there's a very interesting conflict there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that actually like led into the first pitch for my very first sale to Voyager, which was about his inability, Tuvok's inability to understand uh, murder and motive for murder because he just wasn't wired for it and ends up mind melding with, with a killer and kind of going off the rails. But that was, that that for me was, I always wanted to explore that aspect of him. And I felt it, there wasn't a lot Vulcan about him as, as great as, tim russ was like in playing that kind of character we often didn't write him as a vulcan and and those conflicts that you know we had that the original series in many ways didn't even really touch on you know i mean spock would very often pick up a phaser if he had to and do whatever was required but i would i would imagine that a full-blooded vulcan would be much more committed to that kind of philosophy and that seemed like a very interesting you know point of conflict Uh, To give to Vak, but it was never anything that they were even interested. It it seemed to me in exploring, and I get it. But you know, if you're going to make a character a Vulcan, then make them a Vulcan. (laughs) You know, embrace the philosophy. Uh, Yeah, it's like the the Uh, thing
2: that always worked about to me that worked about Spock was that, and you kind of hit on it, Michael. Which is, it is a point of view thing, right? It is a way of looking at the world, and it almost—it's not that it has nothing to do with logic, but it is. It is just a point of view that's different. It was a thing that fueled his conflict with Dr. McCoy and their conflict was never policy debate, right? It was, it was really like a, yeah. about like, you know, it's like, my God, man, we're talking about universal Armageddon. You know, it's like just that difference was what made that connection so interesting. And I feel like you're right. Like there is this great contradiction that's built into this character in the, in the Bible that didn't get a chance to quite emerge, right? Like if, if he is a Vulcan who is, who has committed himself to this, what does it mean? Right. What does that guy say? By the way, that episode is awesome. Um, But uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's interesting to me that he never quite kind of jumped off
1: the page
2: in the way that you're talking about.
1: It seems to me that they missed a great opportunity that probably from a, uh, from a network note that we didn't get an old Vulcan, you know? Right. But, you know, he's fit as as an 80 year old. Yeah. Right. Uh, But it's missing such a a great opportunity for a different dynamic Mm -hmm. from this character, but we got the same dynamic and there was nothing, there was nothing different about it. It was just, Oh, it's another Vulcan. We, we, we don't believe that he has, A lot more experience and wisdom. That's the problem.
0: Yeah. Plus, also, it's interesting that, and I don't know when they wrote the Bible if they had this in mind for the pilot, that he's a spy on board the McKee ship, you know, which is an interesting situation to put him in. And again, it goes to, you know, this whole idea of, um, you know, would a Vulcan do that?
3: I don't right. know. Sure. And they did play that a little on the show, how some of the other Maquis crew members were resentful because Tuvok was a spy and didn't tell them. And it just again, it's like the whole Maquis mission was over with and it, it didn't even matter. So let's like <laughs> let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. You no. Know?
0: So okay. Well then that brings us to Harry Kim. And Darren, if you'll tell us a little bit about why we're wild about Harry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kim, the ops slash communication officer is a human of Japanese descent and had the happiest day of his life when he reported to duty aboard Voyager. He knew his parents were proud, though he was a bit embarrassed by their hugs and kisses as they said goodbye, and that meant a lot to him. As the only child of a couple which had tried for years to conceive, he was their great pride, their golden child. Not to be confused with the Paramount movie of the same name. (laughs) He brought... (laughs) I get it, that's funny. (laughs) More than anything, he wanted to fulfill that expectation, to repay his parents for their undying devotion to him, and he had always done that through his shining academic career and his graduation with honors from the Academy. After Voyager was swept into the far reaches of the galaxy, when he realized he would never see his parents again and they would believe him dead, his greatest regret was for the pain that they would feel. But... If Harry was raised with love and care, he was also raised in a somewhat sheltered way. He had no worries, no cares, and whatever minor annoyances life might have brought were deflected from him by his parents. So, Harry has some growing up to do. Having never experienced adversity, he has fewer of the tools for coping than some of the others. Though he tries to keep such thoughts from surfacing, he's scared. He's over his head in this mission. He thought... He'd be gone a month and then go home to share his adventures with his folks, but what has happened is unthinkable, and often he has the sensation that it is just a bad dream, that he'll wake up in his bedroom at home to the sound of his mother singing in the garden and his father hammering copper plate for sculptures. He goes about his duties with diligence. It's comforting somehow to have a job to do, but more than anyone else, Harry is suffering. The others know this, and in their varying ways, try to give the young man a helping hand. Their message, their methods range from Chicote's stern insistence on duty to Janeway's comforting maternal presence. But among the crew, there is not one who doesn't like Harry Kim. Is there a character there, guys? Not especially. There's a little bit of a stereotype there.
2: It's you know what the problem is, it's all in the rear view and it's all internal. What's fascinating though, if like if you kind of you know, I'm reading this now with, um, with a little bit of hindsight, like the description of kind of his sheltered life and how it totally inadequately prepared him for the, the life that he was entering is fascinating in that it is prophetic for an entire generation of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, of kids who grew up with tiger moms and helicopter parents and, and all of that. Right. It just, it never quite manifested. And I think that, um, that it's like, it's just, it's a turn of the dial away from being a character, but on the, in the Bible, right? It's just kind of, it's, it's something that that never has to become story because it's all behind us. Although I will say that one of my favorite Voyager episodes is the shoot, right? And Harry is like such a huge part of that. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's also, that's, that's Garrett, who I think was just very charming, but, um, you know it's just he's just in the bible i just he doesn't read
0: as much
3: no no
0: how how did you find um did you find that a challenging character to write for michael
3: Yeah, you know i i you know harry was a what the operations officer on the bridge and always got a lot of uh you know stuff to do uh and he, and he had a share of of standalone episodes as as anybody did and you know probably one of the best episodes of the entire series was uh um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. Were, were they uh, Timeless? Is it Timeless? Yeah, Timeless. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, they, you know, after, you know, several seasons of, I think, you know, underserving the character and, and the actor and, you know, Garrett Wang, who's, uh, you know, a, a, a terrific, terrific guy, terrific actor. Um, we decided to show an alternate version of him that went in a completely different direction and he, and he totally popped. Uh, I wish there had been a way to uh, to bring that that character into relief in the actual like context of the timeline of the show rather than just an, an alternate future. Um, and he, you know, and he he really did pop once we we gave him something needed to do. So, um, you know, as a, as a writer, because I didn't, I don't, I don't know that I I even pitched any any Harry Kim stories that were not. Uh, I mean, he had some like funny runners. I did a Klingon episode once, so there was a klingon woman who really wanted to mate with him which was very funny but like you know i his, his character as conceived did not at least for me inspire a lot of you know great storylines um and I, I wish we'd found a better way to uh, to to use him and during the run of the show
1: yeah.
0: yeah and then of course you know early on i mean you know he was having some personal issues um which prevented him from uh, be, you know being around for as many episodes as, as they could have used him um but uh thankfully uh you know he, he you know and he's a lovely guy and uh it just seems like they were really at a loss of what to do with him but you're right i mean, timeless is really an outstanding episode for him um so okay ashley take us through bolana torres uh we have uh, two more two more characters um, well, actually, we have you don't. Four we have more, more than that. characters. We have, we have well, a look, lot. Of so, so we'll, so look, we'll hit the highlights. The yeah, chief let's engineer. Hit
2: the highlights. So let's talk about <laughs> Blana Taurus. You know, uh, so the chief engineer has a facade that's worked well for her: tough, knowledgeable, able to take care of herself, bothered by nothing. Um, but beneath the surface, there dwells a person confused and at war with herself. This is interesting. Belana has a mixed heritage: Klingon and human, that she deplores. Her Klingon side is disturbing. She makes every effort to suppress it. She distrusts the feelings her Klingon blood produces and wishes that she could achieve total control of them. Her attitude stems from a complex mix of factors. Her Klingon mother and human father were separated when she was young. She grew up not knowing her father. He was transformed by her into a fantasy image, the perfect daddy prince. (laughs) That did not show up. An idealized figure. Uh, She and her mother lived not on the Klingon homeworld, but on a remote colony, which was largely human. She grew up feeling like the other. And as she grew older, the feelings began to solidify. The turning of her back on her Klingon side was epitomized when when she was accepted at Starfleet Academy. But even then she struggled with the structure and discipline demanded of the students. After graduation, she joined the Starfleet Engineering Corps, but conflict with the Starfleet way of life continued. Yeah, but brief- you
0: see, this is really being uh, 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 the most obvious attempt to do Spock. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean, it literally is Spock, and instead of uh, you could substitute human side for Klingon side, trying to repress it. And um, it's it's interesting, and she's a wonderful actress. She's gone on to become a terrific director. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, wh- you know, enter once Jerry Ryan enters she really gets supplanted in, uh, you know, in this category of the Spock substitute by Jerry. And clearly it was a lot more interested in sort of servicing that character than Polana. 100%. And
2: also Worf kind of got there first uh, yeah. in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know? So there wasn't, I don't know that, that you know, even though I think there were things to say with her and like, you kind of see like how it, should, how it should work. Like those, it was ground that had been
0: trod, like you said, first by Spock and then by, by Worf. I think the problem is, unfortunately, you're sort of getting to a point now on the the third, fourth series where it's Mad Libs, and it's like, okay, so the, instead of a half Vulcan, half human, it's half a uh, Klingon, half human, yeah. you know, and 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 this is happening with the, rather than starting with like who are compelling characters, what kind of interesting dilemmas can we give them? It's more of like, okay, so Odo is going to be our spot guy, and he's looking to come to terms with humanity, or you know, and and so so many of these are just like how are we going to flip something that's worked in the past and do it again, but it's going to be different enough that we're not
3: doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's for sure. I mean, I, I do think Bolana was in many ways a, a more successful character than, than, you know, some of the others and Roxanne Dawson, mm-hmm. like she's a terrific director and, and I, I think a really good actress. I think what was inter- different about her, you know, unlike Spock, she did, she was, she was pushing herself away from her Klingon heritage, which was certainly something Worf did not do and something Spock didn't do. And, and that to me was a, at least different and interesting, and 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 gave us a lot of story potential. And later, when she got, you know, became pregnant, and was trying to figure out like, did she want her child to have any Klingon traits at all? It got into like some really interesting meaty uh, storylines there. But um, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, yeah, by the by the third or fourth series, you were slicing the baloney thinner and thinner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the most beloved character is Doctor. And Z- here, he's called Doctor Zimmerman. Right. The doctor, doc is not really a person, but a holographic figure in EMP to be precise, experimental medical program. When the ship's doctor is unavailable or needs added assistance, he calls on the EMP. The uh, hollow doctor appears as a human male and has been programmed with the most up-to-date medical knowledge. He is capable of treating any disease or injury. So it's interesting. This is probably the uh, slightest description of all the characters. And you could argue probably the character that was plumbed and explored the best of any of them.
1: Please state the nature of the medical emergency. Multiple percussive injuries. Status of your doctor? He's dead. 0. 0.4 cc's of trianiline?
4: Trianiline? We lost our nurse, too. How soon are replacement medical personnel expected? That could be a problem. We're pretty far away from replacements right now. Tricorder? Medical tricorder. replacement must be requested as soon as possible. I am programmed only as a short-term emergency supplement to the medical team. Well, we may be stuck with you for a while, Doc. There's no need for concern. I am capable of treating any injury or disease. No concussion, you'll be fine. Lean him up.
5: Unlock the magnetic constrictors.
4: Restrictors online. Pressure. It's working. 2,500 kilopascals
3: and holding. Bridge to Janeway. We're being scanned by the array, Captain. It's penetrated our shields.
5: What kind of scan? Bridge. Janeway to bridge. Respond. Initiate emergency lock-off.
4: You're not seriously hurt. You can return to your station. This is the emergency holographic doctor speaking. I gave no permission for anyone to be transported out of sickbay. Hello? Sickbay to Bridge? (sighs) I believe someone has failed to terminate my program. Please respond.
3: Yeah. Well, again, it just goes to show you how you just don't know what character is going to pop. I think even Bob Picardo has said, like, you know, one of the reasons he took the job is he didn't think he'd be on the show that much, and he'd just be somebody got sick, he'd be in, you know, they'd come to see him in sick bay since his character couldn't exist outside of there. Um, but yeah, I think at least for me, until Seven joined the show, he was he 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 really was the
1: most interesting.
3: Yeah, he was oh. the most interesting fresh character.
2: Look at the thing in the in the Bible description that never ever became a thing in the show, but it's interesting, right? But you kind of, I think we as writers kind of get like why you don't do it. Um, that uh, he had no personality when we first met him, right? right. And subsequently has undergone number of personality changes depending on the person who was programming it. The crew is never sure who they're going to get when they call up Doc Zimmerman, right? That never happened, right? It was just, he was always acerbic, um, you know, Bob Picardo, who was awesome, right. right? It was just once I think that personality, but that's just one of those things that happens, right? When you're kind of watching dailies come back, and you're going, No, we're
0: not. That's the alchemy between yeah. the casting and character, yeah, exactly, yeah, which did not happen in the case of the other role. Uh, you know, I think as you mentioned, Ethan is terrific as Nealix, not the most dynamic character, but where you have a real problem is Jennifer Lean, uh, as Kess, and of course, they describe Kess helps to. You- him cook Neelix cook and serve, but she'd much rather be roaming the ship, getting to know the people. Neelix can never seem to find her when he needs her. And he's always sure she's standing up in a closet with a sailor. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> their relationship is all beat. Right I, I, first funny, I thought you were kidding. That, wait, that is in there, isn't it? <laughs> and allows us I, 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 insights into a uniquely alien relationship. Neelix and Cass, a truly odd couple, become oblique commentators on the human condition. Okay, None of that. (laughs) None of that is true in the slightest bit. And also, where are the sailors? (laughs) Where are the sailors? That's how you keep Uh, on this. (laughs) (laughs) Sailor Moon. Um, What? Yeah. yeah. So you can see the foundation for a series. Um, And, you know, look, Voyager is a show that some people love. Some people don't love as much. You know, it's it's somewhat polarizing.
3: Um, Just to add in, Michael, real quick, had a, real quick about Neelix and Cass. I mean, yeah, I think that the romance angle was definitely a misfire. The idea of a character like Cass, who only lives to be seven years old. I think that's a great idea for a character. Again, they, you know, they just, for various reasons, that did not get explored. But I think if you're going to do something like that, you do it like they play the, like the queen on the crown, you know, have a different actress play that character for two seasons and then get an older actress to play it. And then, and let's let's see this character age and how the crew are affected by that. That to me is fascinating. That never happened. They put some old age makeup on her.
2: (laughs) Right. It's like, I think, yeah. Also that, and I don't know if this was a decision, like, and who knows, like how these things happen. Again, it's like magic crap occurs when you're in the writer's room and then you see things happening on the stage. But I think that um, that Cass, right? Like uh, she was so ethereal, right? That, or or that ethereal. Was, or ethereal. Or she was Patrick Mackney. She was so Ethel Merman. She was so um, Ethel Merman. She was so perspicacious, uh, that we could just never get our <laughs> there's so many things now because of that sailor, we could never get our arms around her as a character. standing in the
0: closet, in with, the the closet with a sailor. Oh what? my God. We're, we're <laughs> going to hear about in that. In the all... Bible. How is that in the Bible? Well,
2: you
3: know, Jean was long gone, sadly, but.
1: But
0: his
3: ghost work with
0: him. It's such closet. a Michael line. I'm sure it's a little old fashioned. It's a little out of left field. You know, there's no way Jerry Taylor wrote it. I doubt Rick did very much writing on the Bible. So I I have a feeling that's a Michael line. Um, But, uh, oh, my God, what a a classic. And I have to say, guys, I'm really sad to say we are not going to be able to do Enterprise today because we spent a lot more time on Voyager than we anticipated. But it was worth taking the time, I think, because mm-hmm. it was a very interesting look at the, the Bible for Voyager, which in a lot of ways was a very daring concept uh, that uh, maybe was a little underbaked initially, which is why I think most people prefer your seasons, Michael. Later on feels the show suffered in the beginning, but sort of found its way later on.
3: Yeah. I mean, so many of the Star Trek shows have uh, taken a little while to find their sea legs, which, you know, a lot of TV shows don't get an and their sailors to do that. in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: that's because the sailors are all on the closet. It's what is the reason why. Nobody's on the bridge.
0: We're never going to let that go. Never. But uh, Mike, Michael, I hope you'll come back uh, when we do Enterprise because... Uh, you know, we, we sold people at Billet Goods and then we 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 lied
3: to them completely. I yeah, you know, I I read I reread the PDF. Now you, I did all this research and deep thinking on it. Okay. You have to have me back.
0: We have to have for the you know, we as just we talked about. a piece uh, of
1: cake. We shall consider one it
0: the one that started <laughs> it all. And of course, if you're a fan of Voyager, you will want to listen to Trexperts Briefing Room, a completely other podcast where um uh, um, uh Peter and yeah. Lisa have dissected a number of um Voyager episodes with special guests and they've, they've oh, uh, f- done some great deep dives into some of the material, including with uh, Michael Sussman. So I hope you'll check that out along with our other electric surge uh, podcasts. And of course, if you're a fan of this podcast, you should go on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen and rate us five stars. And uh, we want to give a very special thanks to Bill Ritter, our sound engineer, our producers, Pete Holmstrom, Zach Raggett, and Natalie Miscelli. And uh, we want to invite you to join us next week when hopefully we will get to something uh, that we promised you and completely lied. We, we just misrepresented the whole thing. And for that, I am sort of sorry, but not really. I think it would be but, funny uh,
1: next time we promise uh, the Enterprise uh, Bible and just never get around to it during the episode. Yeah, we just <laughs> like all the, uh, no, the pre-roll.
0: My, my, Michael read the PDF. We can't do it. It's, now we're committed. We're, 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 all in, for, we're in. You want me. The one that started it all. Right. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do it. We gotta do it. So uh, anyway, I want to thank uh, uh, Michael Sussman for joining us for this uh, look at uh, back at Voyager, and of course our newly minted Trek expert, Mr. Ashley Edward Miller. As always, it's a pleasure to have uh, Darren Doctorman, my co-host here, to talk Trek as we do every Friday here on Inglorious Trek Experts. So until next time, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. Shh.